0: Welcome to the LA5 Washed Up President's Podcast. I am Ken Chong, the Washed Up President. I want to be very specific about introducing myself this time because our esteemed guest is past president Dave and He is not washed up. I am <laughs> the one that's washed up. We are also joined, I, I'm remiss to, I don't think I actually ever introduce our executive producers, Chrissy Moses and Melinda Monterosa, because I'm so self-absorbed. That I just say my own name and I go right into the thing. But the reality is this will not happen without these two wonderful executive producers. And we hope that your voices will show up more in the actual podcast. Okay. So are you prepared to say some stuff today, Chrissy? We'll see. We'll see. Okay. Thank
1: you for, for acknowledging us. We, we're just happy that we can be here and, and hear you and in front of the mic again and enjoying yourself. and. Well, I'm
0: just I'm, you know, there's a very important past president meeting happening next door to us right now. But this this is my priority. This is what I need because, you know, I have my own insecurities and low self-esteem. This is what this is where I want to put my focus on. And, you know, I'm sitting here with a past president that, that does not have any of those things. Um, he is, you know, I wish I was a member of Rotary when you were president. This was 2001 to 2002. Correct. Um, I didn't join until 2004. So I, I have certain past presidents that I have this vision of what a, what a perfect year might be like. And so I imagine that yours is one of them. Um... So, so who knows, you know, who knows, but like, I have these, I have these certain past presidents where I just feel like that was, it's
1: like the golden circle of presidents. It's like the foundation fellows and the Paul Harris and then our presidents at the top. Yes.
0: Because, you know, like, and David, you get to, you get to see so many, you've seen so many presidents come and go. Uh, I have,
2: but you know, we're going to have an argument here about who's the most washed-up president, you know, in the room. I, I can absolutely attest to the fact that I am, and in this vast studio that we have here. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, no, and that is that is that is completely false. And 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 the way that I, that I know this to be true. Now, you have you have been found. You've been asked to be foundation chair not once but twice. I. That's correct. Right. And this is the heart and soul of LA5. This is this is how we do all the good work. And you have and so to be asked not only once but to do it twice, and not everyone gets it, that, that shows kind of where the club and current presidents put you, rate you when you when you ask to come out of the bullpen, and that is like the number one to me that says uh, not washed up. Well, that's very uh,
2: kind of you to say, Ken. I think the actual reason came because I missed a meeting (laughs) and they didn't have anyone else that could uh, step in as chair and so I was asked to fill the void. But let me give you a little color here because you weren't a member of the club when I was president. When I joined LA5 in late 1989, uh, I found that it was a very tedious process that lasted over six months before I was finally accepted to join the club. And I came from a Rotary family, but when I finally did make my entrance, uh, I landed in a organization that at that time had something over 700 members. And we met at the Statler Hilton Hotel, which was soon name changed, uh, and which is now uh, still in the same spot but has been remade uh, on the corner of Figueroa and Wilshire Boulevard. Uh, at that time we had a large professional staff. There were significant resources that were available to LA5 and I was very impressed by the opportunity to meet a significant number of people who were movers and shakers in our entire community, not just in downtown Los Angeles, but everywhere, Mm -hmm. and this represented to me an opportunity to really express my community service desires, and so I jumped right in and I became a member of the badge committee, and I was assigned to hand out badges and to introduce myself to everybody that came in, and with an average attendance of 250 to 300 people. That was a significant. That's a lot, lot of names. I
0: had to get there early. Yeah. <laughs> What's the What was the six month the six month thing? So was that's like uh well, like we, that was the application period? Like just to to. Uh,
2: there was a very very significant uh, number of people in the club who held on to the belief that we could only have one person in each category, which was the way that it really was in, originally was in Rotary. So if yeah. they had somebody who was in the real estate business, that was the category. Yeah. They couldn't have two oh, so people in the real estate business. So weigh. now they had, I became uh, part of the life insurance group that was members of the club, but I had a very specific function. I was a life insurance agent. There was life insurance brokers, there were life insurance general agents, but I was a life insurance agent. Anyway, it was a a wonderful opportunity for me to meet some really terrific people, and we had great, great meetings.
0: I didn't realize you were, you said something, I didn't realize you were from a Rotary family. Your dad was a Rotarian as well? My
2: father uh, was a member of Rotary with Paul Netzel. In Englewood. Oh, oh I didn't became, realize
0: Paul Netzel started in England. I, I right. thought it was Culver City was his first I'm, I'm sorry,
2: Culver City. Oh, okay. And Paul was the mayor of Culver yeah, City. Yeah, yeah. And my father was the president of the Culver City Rotary Club. I didn't
0: realize that. So. And
2: uh, he ultimately moved to the Hawaiian Islands. They moved to Maui when he retired. And shortly thereafter became the district governor for all of the of the Hawaiian Islands, oh. and uh, and so when we would go to visit them, uh, I would meet Rotary dignitaries from all over the world. And when they traveled, they went to all the Rotary conventions. They would meet people and they would travel with them throughout the world. And so our house their house was very much an a international <laughs> conclave yeah so how long was your was your dad like a long time rotarian he was a long time rotarian although he didn't join until he was uh, uh, quite a bit older uh, toward the end of his career uh, i was uh, in my early 40s when i joined uh, when i joined rotary and i was very very thrilled to be a part of Rotary because I had such admiration for the work they did. Uh, After 10 years of Rotary service, uh, I finally managed through some flute to become president of the club. And I had had service in virtually every committee on the club before that happened. Well, yeah, that's, yeah.
0: And it was back then, it was, it was a real problem. I mean, people were would would I don't want to say fight over it, but there was a, a a lot of honor associated with being asked or and being nominated.
2: Well, uh, that is that is true, but I think it's still true, and I think that the Rotary ideals that were present then uh, are certainly present now, and the the people that are populating our club today would find themselves very comfortable and in good company with the members that we had then. Mm -hmm. We had a a number of CEOs who regularly attended. Dick Stegmaier, who was the chairman of Union Oil 76. Mm -hmm. Uh, We had uh, several others because of my age, I can't remember their (laughs) names, but we had the the chairman of uh, what became Wells Fargo Bank. Mm -hmm. We had the chairman of Bank of America. We had quite a number of Of senior uh, executives that were regular attenders and really valued their position in rotary and if they couldn't attend a meeting they sent one of their executive staff to attend for them so that they had unbroken attendance (laughs) attendance was a huge thing then yeah if you didn't come to a meeting
0: they called you and want to know where you were I love though that you could send someone in your place to still get the <laughs> attendance credit. Yeah, I like, I like that. that. That's,
2: Somebody signing you in and
1: out. That was one of the <laughs> deals, yeah. right.
2: Uh, there was also a group called the Down Under Group, and this was John Clairhout's contribution to Rotary. So our meeting started as they do today at 12 o'clock, but if you wanted to come a little earlier, like at 11, they went downstairs to the bar at the Statler Hilton, and they enjoyed wine together, uh, for quite a number of years. Uh-huh. Uh, one of the things that uh, that happened during my years, we started having the wine reception. And that was sponsored by a, a Rotarian. And we served wine upstairs yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. in the room. And then we also uh, began uh, selling advertising in our printed rotary handbook as a way of defraying costs. I was looking for ways to raise money, but, but do it in a friendly way that yeah. will support the, our um,
1: mission. That was the first time that we had started. Right,
0: exactly. And you had given me that, I don't know if you remember, but during my years as president, we brought it back, you had given me that advice. It wasn't nearly as, probably as fancy, but we had a, you know, we, we had someone who would sponsor a, a bottle or two of wine mm-hmm. when we were meeting downstairs in that little cove in the, in the mm-hmm. other big room. Um, but that was one of the ideas you had brought back, and we and I thought that was it was it was it was fun. It was nice, and there was I, a special little VIP section that we would do for those that would be invited into the wine reception and it would be hosted by.
1: Maybe we start bring this back, and the only way you get in is if you subscribe to the podcast.
0: <laughs> Whatever it takes,
2: <laughs> good a good idea. Whatever it takes, you know we, we have untapped listeners uh there and I, I, I can't imagine anyone not wanting to listen to you. I don't know about listening no, to me I will this say, may dif- this may make people not want to listen no. to the podcast.
0: And I had of course as as one of the ten people that will regularly listen to my own podcast, <laughs> it is Listening to my own voice, it's atrocious. Like I'm like, am I this nasally? Am I like, do I have allergies? What is the problem? So I hope Melinda and Chrissy speak more because I will say, even though I need this podcast for my ego, I also am just cringing when I re-listen to myself. We have a lot of to, to
1: do with our talent just to make sure he's okay. And I have, yes, <laughs> that's why I have two
0: producers Damn. to keep me from jumping off the ledge.
2: Value of this club really comes from relationships oh yeah and encouraging those relationships comes from attendance uh, people want to know how much you care before they care how much you know <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> that
0: no that is the that is like the first thing which I always talk about a gateway which no one believes me but it is it is it is to me the most important part of getting people to stay in Rotary. Because there's no question the amount of good work that we do and people that we affect, but if you don't come enough to our meetings where you walk into that, into the dining room, and you don't feel comfortable, if you don't feel like there are some friends in there that I wanna go say hello to, it doesn't matter how much good work we're doing, you don't want to, that, that, that awkward new, newness phase, like you gotta get past that. It's, gotta, it's almost like it has to be, it is a social, it is a social club, first and foremost. Mm-hmm. And if you are not socializing, you will not, you will not have that sticky factor where you're gonna say, you know what, the dues are, have come up again, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna re-up. You're gonna say, you know what, I didn't go that much, and I don't think anyone really misses me. And then you, you know, and then you just kind of fade away. So you have mm-hmm. to come.
1: I'm just thinking back on what you said when, when, if you missed a meeting, somebody would call you immediately. Well, that's and amazing. that's really an
2: important aspect of it. People, you know, what's meaningful to people are things that are measured. Mm-hmm. And if if you're called out because you haven't attended meetings, maybe you will yeah. attend meetings, and that. Yeah. That philosophy worked for about People 80 years in our club yeah. <laughs> yeah. before offended, I got there. People
1: didn't they or they were glad to know that they were missed? Is that how?
2: Absolutely. Yeah. They were wanted. Yeah. Yeah. And when we had an event, the way that we filled that event was board members or committee chairs were responsible, mm-hmm. were re- measured. We, we actually had, uh, you know, mm-hmm. we quantified how many members were in that committee, and how many showed up. And, and so, uh, you know, I certainly hope that we would start doing things like that again. We want to get yeah. people to start coming to weekly meetings. Yeah. You know, uh, if any of you called me at any time and said, hey, you know, I'd really love for you to join me at my table at, at this particular event or this meeting. Uh, it's important.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: I'd be there in a second. And I think a lot of other people would follow that same...
0: Absolutely, especially past presidents because we don't have a reserve seat anymore. So when you guys have your tables... You, both of you are future... You know, this is... You know, you're talking about future leadership here. When you have your reserve tables, past presidents love to be invited because... Well, at least I do. I don't know. David's probably fine where he's at, but, like, the sitting... In the back, with my back to the speaker, because there's no more seats left, is really hard.
1: <laughs> You'll be getting a call every week. Yeah, <laughs> <It's really hard. laughs> many seats to fill. No, no that's, that's
3: that's really terrific.
1: But going um, back to your your badge committee badge experience, mm-hmm. so was that. Before our good friend Jack Dibbs became in charge of it? Did you did you get the oh, yeah. understudy? Or
2: has Jack um, been Jack was, was a bad. member was a member of that group? And, <laughs> oh, so um, he's been doing it Ed Matveld was a member of that group. Oh. Denny Dine was a member of that group.
0: Oh. Um, so how he did he, so the, a, club, has Jack literally been doing badges for 40 years, like 35 years?
2: Oh, uh, a very long time. Well, I also started the uh, 50-50. Oh. And um, and that that was a really interesting um, uh, situation, and that kind of split off because um, uh, Denny and uh, and also um, Ben Turner uh, would go around and looking for Lauren. And people would feel sorry for them and buy tickets.
0: That was your that, that was so, the trick. so if the fifty fifty raffle was 0-1, that was right. yours.
2: Also also the health fair assuming That was Uh, yours. We started it during my year. Yes, and a lot
0: of people don't realize that you also founded another Rotary Club. I mean, Downtown LA Rotary. Well, that's another story. I almost got thrown out of this club for doing that. Yeah,
2: (laughs) I mean, that was not a popular. That was not a popular thing amongst uh, some of the past presidents of this club, and I was counseled about (laughs) doing it. My father was going to was going to found a club in Hawaii. A morning club, and I said, "Well, you know, if you're going to do that, I'm going to found a morning club in L.A., and we'll see who's the first one to get chartered." Okay, so we started. We started this, and there's that club
0: still meets today. Yeah, but so now it's nighttime. Yeah, well,
2: you know, there there's some people. <laughs> but being... your
0: name is the original on the original charter. It's your name. Yeah, so, but yeah. I wasn't.
2: I did not want to be the first president. I didn't want to. I just wanted to start. Start it.
0: You never like left LA5 to join? Did you never, join? You never, just, never. you were just getting it going, right? Exactly. Yeah. Who exactly. won? You or your dad? My
2: dad.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> Darn it. So did you know Paul? I mean, did you know any of the Culver City Rotarians? Like, yeah, I knew were... Paul.
2: I knew Paul. He was a, a, a very good family friend. And, and you know, my father's friends from Rotary were his lifelong friends. And they would come to visit him in Hawaii. As a matter of fact, we used to have an event here called the Honeymoon Party. And it was a group of Rotarians that would travel together to play golf or do other events. And one year they went to Hawaii. And so uh, I arranged for them to uh, have an an evening with my parents and so they hosted a dinner uh, at their uh, home in uh, in Maui. And uh, that was a very well attended event and I still have friends. Nancy Iredale was, uh, she and her husband uh, attended that, and uh, a number of other people, and they're still today will stop me and say, you know, I remember your parents. Um, (laughs) And you all remember, I don't know that we want to put this in this podcast, but my mom attended our first meeting of Todd's meeting, and we were in the Florentine Lounge at the Jonathan Club and she had a profound stroke and passed away. Yeah, I remember that. Um, and I, it's it was not lost on me that her last active act in life was to attend a, a Rotary meeting.
0: Yeah. Did um, she ever join Rotary? Oh yes,
2: Roderian? oh yeah, she was, when my, when my father passed away in 2000, she took his place as a member of okay. the Rotary Club of Maui. Okay. And when I visited there, uh, she would, I would always make up uh, at her club. And uh, <laughs> she was, you know, oh yeah, this is my son.
0: <laughs> <laughs> she was the Maui Rotary Club? Oh yeah. The big one? Oh yeah.
2: One? Yes, well it was a fairly good sized club and they stayed very much in touch, and I mean, she had good friends yeah. you know, that were part of the room. But she was also the um, liquor commissioner for Maui, Molokai, <laughs> and Lanai oh. when she was wow. 87 years old. Wow, that's cool. And well, I went one day. know how to
0: find the put- I themselves. I went one day, I flew over there, in the I flew over there to visit her, wow. and they were
2: having a meeting, and I said, you know, Mom, I'd like to go with you to see... You know, to see what happens there. I think it's some coffee clatch with four people sitting around and having, you know, this uh, <laughs> this little thing. They have a two thousand person auditorium. It's got to be. I mean, in a and she's a long one table with her in the center as the chairperson, with a microphone wow. and an attorney sitting behind her and a secretary also, and all the board members. And one by one, the hotels, the Grocery stores, the restaurants, the bars, the clubs come in to present their petition for a liquor license. Oh, yeah. She must
0: have been Uh, one of the most
3: influential people. Are you kidding me?
2: You know? And then then, uh, afterwards, uh, you know, she had her Maui Liquor Commission uh, polo shirt on. And afterwards, she said, come on, let's go get lunch. And she would go to the Outback because we had a... The early diner special. <laughs> she was great. Yeah. She was, she was one of a kind. Did she
0: have to pay for meals anywhere in, in town? I'm oh, getting, no. I would no, imagine, no, no, she, I no. I imagine you don't have to. You're not paying for any meals in <laughs> if you are the liquor commissioner.
2: She it's also amazing. passed a very controversial law there that if you got caught drinking in Maui and was cited for it, that they went back and cited the place where you were drinking as well. Oh wow. Oh. And if it was a hotel or a bar, they could lose their license oh. over that. The very very Was this
0: position elected position appointed is it? It was
2: it was appointed. I mean, appointed. she was on the commission for about 8 years. Mm. No salary. Uh, no salary a, for no, this job. Totally volunteered. Wow. She even paid a lot of her own expenses to travel to the other islands. Really? Yeah, it was. uh, Even
0: that that would be a not a volunteer job.
2: (laughs) She, believe me, she kept it very much. Took it very much in stride. Wow, yeah, that's amazing. So, I come from a family that valued community service. Yeah, Yeah. you know, it was a, a wonderful thing.
0: What did your dad do? He was, uh,
2: my father was uh, in business with his father and they were the original tenants at the farmer's market on 3rd and Fairfax so in good. 1934.
0: Wow. wow. What? Um, it's in a, a produce business. A oh, produce
2: they business. They had a chicken ranch and they would, would uh, barter the, the chicken
0: Eggs and
2: fertilizer oh. Oh. to the Japanese truck farmers in exchange for their produce. And they they had too much produce and so they would take it down to the wholesale produce market but they couldn't get very much there. So this guy came up with the idea of having this farmer's market. And so one day in July of 1934, they all, four trucks backed up. <laughs> and set up a little tables and there was a poultry dealer There was my my father was and grandfather were in the produce business and there were a couple a couple of others that were the original and that lasted for about a summer and then they had a little a little temporary stand that they left there and then pretty soon there was a roof on it and if you look at the market it's very much like that today Uh you know that's been preserved and they were there for 50 Four years on a month-to-month lease. Wow! <laughs> a month-to-month rental agreement.
0: Wow. Now, is there was there a family farm or no?
2: Nope. This was no, no, no. Purely they, wholesale. I grew up. But now you're going to get to the reason why I get up at four in the morning. Oh. I drove down to the produce market in our truck and picked up the produce. Wow and I would get up at four, go pick up the truck at farmer's market, drive to the produce market downtown here in LA, load it up, drive it back to the, to the market, unload it, put up the wet stand, and then go to high school down the street. <laughs> then I would come back after school and work till we close at 6.30. Now, six days a week.
0: So, and so this habit has, has not died within you. You still get it, so what time do you go to bed?
2: Nine thirty or ten. Gosh, yeah.
1: but now we know why he's so happy when he wakes up. You <laughs> <does he laughs> to do that commute. Yeah, he's not <laughs> you. <laughs> do
0: that. now you get up early. You can play golf. You right. work out. You can go <laughs> ride your bike and do whatever. Yeah, well, but uh, you still can't sleep in, though. No, and, and when I was when I was a naval
2: officer uh, during Vietnam, uh, I woke up very very early in the morning and had before that, the bugler. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, we we. Uh, you know, aboard ship was a little bit different, but uh, it was an amazing adventure to me and made more so that I didn't have to do any of the stuff I did while I was in high school and college to get through there. You know, I, I lived in a war I, room. I love, I love how being
0: in the Navy was easier than It was a vacation school. for me. So I even got paid for it. You got paid. <laughs> I love that. Well, I love yeah,
2: so that was... Uh, that's it was a amazing. fun time, yeah, <laughs> interesting time.
0: So is it still recording, or is mm-hmm. So you're gonna hear in the background noise like all these doors probably opening and closing mm-hmm. because we, Dave and I missed the past president meeting happening next door and everyone thought this was a meeting because they could hear our voices. But they
1: all wanted to be here. They all
0: wanted to be here, but yeah. they couldn't. See, Ken? It's me. Everybody Dave, wants to be here
1: with you. The Wash President's podcast is a more exclusive club than the past presidents. Oh, for sure. There's only four of us in here. There's like a whole
0: boatload of people in that other room. Yeah. A red badge is like diamond dozen now at LA Five again because. People will not admit it, but you know where else are you, the past president's going to go? So they go. They come to Rhode Should
1: we create a sticker for people's badges, for to indicate if they've been a guest on the podcast? Oh, we podcaster? should totally.
0: We should yes. totally make I've been a sticker. <laughs> up, yeah. We should totally make a sticker.
2: Well, I really, I, I I love the idea of communicating in a contemporary way, embracing social media in every possible way that we can for communicating with our club. A lot of members today treat their membership differently than than we did when I became a mem- originally a member. And a lot of it I agree with. I think that there is a lot of leverage that we can achieve by empowering people to do good work in the community. And while we don't have as many members as we did then, uh, we have, every bit as much impact in the community as we did then. Mm -hmm. And and I'm amazed every week at the dedication that I see by whoever it is that's in leadership now, and I thank every one of you for doing that. Um, The biggest meeting that we had ever in the history of this club, I'm told, was when we opened the cathedral, Conference center in in uh, April of two thousand and two, and that was uh, we moved the, the meeting from uh, where we were to that facility for for a period of time, and we had our opening meeting there. The cathedral had just opened,
3: mm-hmm.
2: and our speaker was the cardinal. Uh huh. And you can imagine just that as a cachet. Mm -hmm. Add to that the controversy that was going on in the Catholic Church in our community at that time, and there was a huge controversy going on about emails that erupted the week of our meeting. We had 900 people at that meeting. Wow. And when I showed up, the chairman of the conference center, who is a retired Navy SEAL admiral, said, Dave, we can't have the meeting here today because the Cardinal can't go out uh, and be exposed to the press. And I was shocked, but I said, well, listen, if we can control the press and they're not gonna, you know, they're not gonna be invasive here, can we still have the meeting? He said, well, I suppose we can. So I went onto the steps of the cathedral and press was all there, and I said, Welcome to Friday meeting of the Rotary Club of Los Angeles. We are here to talk about our Rotary Club's impact on the community and the things that we do here. We are not have anything to do with politics. We don't have anything to do with anything going on in contemporary society other than our addressing some of the very serious problems of our community. And on that basis, I'd like to invite you to come into the conference center and be a part of our program. But there will not be any questions of our speaker, the the cardinal, or anyone else. And on that basis, please come in. And they all rush to come in. And a reporter runs up to me and sticks a microphone in my face and says, well, what about the emails? (laughs) I said, that's not what we're about. We're a community service club. We're the Rotary Club of Los Angeles. So we had the meeting. No questions were asked. It was a big success. In fact, Wade Piston, who was one of our dear, dear members, and a huge force in the service that we gave to the community through donations of medical supplies all over the world. Yeah. Stopped me before the meeting and he said, I got a joke for you. He said, um, this fellow was talking to his rabbi and saying to him, you know, there's gonna be, I'm going to the new cathedral. And the rabbi said to him, Where is it? He said, it's on Temple Street. He said, well, that's okay. (laughs) So at the end of the meeting, I closed the meeting by saying, uh, you know, the decision to move here was one that was uh, discussed and was, uh, you know, largely The the whole idea of it was, was the consensus of our board. But as the president, I had to make the final decision. And so I went to my rabbi, and I said to him, what do you think about us having our meeting at the cathedral? And he said, what street is this on? I said, Temple Street. He said, it's all right. <laughs> and, I got a, and and people today still, still remind yeah, me of, that, that, of joke. that joke. And it was Wade Piston yeah. who told me that joke. God that's bless his memory. Anyway, I've gotten a lot more out of this club than I could ever possibly give it. And so that's a debt I will try to repay for the rest of my life.
1: We'll call in that debt, no problem. Yeah, you can. <laughs> Thank you for all that you've done and given to this club. It's, I oh. mean, this conversation is so amazing to hear. By the way,
2: <laughs> I went home, and we were getting on a plane because my oldest grandson was, had just been born three days before that. We were going to visit him. And so um, we're home picking up our things to go to LAX, and Nancy says, honey, come here. Come here, wait till you see this. On the television was the news, and it was a report about our meeting there. And did they show our meeting? Did they show us giving out grants? Did they show us anything else? It was a reporter running up to me and saying, what about the 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 emails? emails
0: And that's how you were. That
2: was the whole thing. Two seconds. And so I say to you, Chrissy, please. Please, <laughs> okay. please, please be judicious in the, audit, in the editing <laughs> yes. of yes. this. I'm here, I'm
1: just, we're never going to stop hearing about emails. This <laughs> is never going to go
2: away. Yeah. Anyway, fun.
0: Thank you. Thank you. It was you. a lot of fun. Yeah. Thank you for being a guest yeah. on the Washed Up Presidents podcast, Mr. President. But I think, I, I do think people find it interesting to learn all these little tidbits about, that's the commentary that I've gotten, is that people say, oh, that was really interesting. I did not know this about. Well,
1: and I think we learn now why we have royalty, rotary royalty in our yeah. midst. you are groomed since you were from the yes. very beginning. Yeah.
2: Well, um, i tell you, there was a lot of examples in our club of people who, I was very impressed by the standards that they lived by and they became very visible in their giving and in their leadership in in various events and it was indeed a privilege to be part of that. But I want to tell you one quick story that happened during my year when I was president. I became president in July of 2001. Mm -hmm. A very short time later, you may remember, we were all severely impacted by the events of September 11th. That happened on a Tuesday. A lot of businesses had cancelled uh, programs and things for that week. and I had a lot of calls about whether or not we should have a meeting on that Friday. People wondered about even traveling to downtown Los Angeles. They weren't yeah. sure what was going to happen. And as God would have it, our speaker, was a minister wow. who was coming from the Midwest to be our speaker. And I contacted him and I asked him if he was still coming and he said, very much so. And I said, well, if you'll be here, we'll be here. Mm-hmm. And I encouraged all of my board to reach out to their fellow members, people they knew, and to ask them to each populate at least one table for, for that day. And we had a sub- wonderful turnout of Rotarians with the message that we are a family. We certainly have much to mourn about and much to, to be sorry, but let's celebrate the fact that we have each other. Mm-hmm. And so we had this very large group of Rotarians that showed up for that meeting. And the minister did a spectacular job of assuaging everyone's feelings and making them feel good about themselves. And as a result, we were reaching out to the Rollery Club of New York and in Washington, D.C. and in um, Ohio to make whatever amends that we could either financially or with support from our club uh, to help them uh, recover so it was a a very very meaningful part of of our club's activities uh, yeah. do you remember why president. you
0: had why why he was initially supposed to come out and speak
2: providence i mean his uh-huh. we we had speakers uh that were scheduled a year in advance huh and uh, it just so happened that, that he was uh, the, the fellow who was going to speak that day. Um, I, I'm, I'm very, very proud of, of that and we had a very large contingent that, is, that attended the Rotary International Convention that year. We had uh, a significant number of people who became very enamored with some of the programs that began to appear through Rotary International. One of them was the wheelchair program, which uh, through a consensus of our board and uh, led by uh, Les Atchley and uh, Janet, his wife, and most notably by Martin Lika and his wife, Pearl, we were able to cobble together a bunch of matching Mm grants from Rotary International from our district, from our club, we put up $150,000 that was matched many, many times and ended up coming up with over a million dollars to buy wheelchairs. And we sent a significant shipment to Africa and Mark and Pearl on their own nickel flew to Africa And met that shipment and saw to its delivery. And there's a video that exists today. And in one of these meetings coming up, we're going to show that video so they can see just how impacted we were. Showing people that crawled miles on their elbows to be able to get into a wheelchair that gave them mobility and strength. This was Rotary working its miracles.
0: Well, I know you're a listener and you probably heard Mark's Episode, which I mean, this is a big point of pride for him as far as being able to be involved with that and and seeing that. So I didn't I didn't realize that that was I didn't realize it was something from your year where it was where the kind of it, where it got the ball rolling on that one.
2: There are many many projects that we have sponsored while I've been a member of this club that I am unbelievably proud of the impact that we had. We had a speaker come from Arizona who talked about the fact that the prison system in Arizona uses the reading scores from the third grade to determine how many prison cells they're gonna need a decade later. And as a result of that and a significant contribution from the LA Times, our president Don Robinson and our board put together a reading by nine program that delivered thousands and thousands of books to schools all over Los Angeles. Uh, And and the impact of things like the Children's Court, uh, all of these things that, that erupted from this consensus of wanting to do as much good as they could within our community. And, and that's what's kept me in Rotary, and that's what makes me a weekly attender. Whenever I can possibly get to this meeting, this is my priority.
0: Yeah, you know, you touched on two things that I want to expand upon. One being, one thing that I love and that I try to tell future leaders of LA5, the kind of the organic way things can happen where you literally are the one to be the one first person to drop the pebble kind of in that still pond and the ripple effect but you get to be the one to kind of pick that pebble and it's not like it's this machine like it's it's almost like it's a a confluence of luck and timing and whatever but a very big project can happen that's going to impact a lot of people and it would not have happened without your leadership uh, without, you know, trying to cobble together the relationships to make things happen. And, I, and that always amazes me year after year. Uh, and, and, it, and continues. And it continues. It continues to this day. You yeah, know, absolutely.
2: Ronald Reagan said that there is no limit to what a man can get done or how far he can go as long as he doesn't care who gets the credit. And that's what Rotary is really all about. It's a lot of hands doing little things that become an extraordinary extraordinary composite event. Uh, And we continue to do that. Polio Plus, what an extraordinary thing that is. When I was brand new in rotary, that program was in its infancy. My wife and I came to downtown Los Angeles, drove from the valley, picked up a box uh, that had in it live polio vaccine shots and we drove it back to a uh, Catholic uh, church in the uh, San Fernando area, delivered it and there was a whole group of of, uh, school nurses and doctors who were there to give the inoculations. And we stood in the room as a young girl, couldn't have been more than seven or eight years old, come marching in and stands at attention and says, I'm here for my inoculation. <laughs> and you could see she was Scared to death.
0: That's amazing. But she because was going to do this. Because do this was, so this was 80... 80 this is so, 90, uh, 90 or 91. So, like, wow. it's it's kind of amazing to think, like, how recent it really is, where it's 1991, and it's not even, like, just, like, a regular thing at a U.S. hospital to get a polio inoculated. Today, it's just a standard, standard operating procedure. Right. But just... Just you know, twenty-five, thirty years ago, it was it like Rotarians had to bring a box of vaccines to the to the clinic. That <laughs> blows my mind away.
2: Let me tell you. But it you. shows like
0: how much you could get done when you have a million Rotarians deciding we're going to focus on this.
2: Without question, and by, and by the way, um, she had her shot and the look on her face, I'll never forget when they stuck a needle in, and she bravely, with her lip quivering, looked up and says, I don't care for any more Anakalathan today, and went running out of the room. <laughs> I can
1: sympathize.
2: <slip> <laughs> Later that year, in India,
3: mm-hmm.
2: on one day, they suspended the entire Indian government and a million volunteers, A million volunteers in one day inoculated 10 million Indian children. The biggest human service project in world history and we're part of that. That's the the heritage that every member of this organization inherits and God bless us. We need to be worthy of that. Is coming.
0: The other part, which I which I wanted to expand upon, which I think is so great, you know, there's there's definitely, I think there's two schools of, of past presidents. Some they finish it, and maybe I don't know. I think some of it's just life life circumstances. They retire or they move away, but then they're gone. You don't see them. You don't see them. But you have been a regular fixture at La Five. <laughs> and I and so you, you said a little bit about why you still love coming but the, you know talk about like how it is still such a priority in your life I mean you are a very busy you're a very busy person um, <laughs> and I know you are very involved with a lot of other organizations um, you could easily free up. You know, you don't work in downtown. I think you used to work in downtown. You were at Northwestern Mutual for a long time, just across right. the street. But you don't work in downtown. You for a long time, you have not worked in downtown. Right. Um, but you still make it such a regular part of your schedule. And you do. You know. You you, you know. You 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 come and what, what's the what's the?
2: Here's my message. Here's my message to people. Uh, retirement is not about an age or a time. Uh, retirement is when you don't want to put up with the BS anymore <laughs> and you have the financial resources not to have to. But it is certainly not a time to just stop and you're going to do all of the things that you enjoy recreationally for the rest of your life. That doesn't work. I, I retired once in two thousand in 2006 for about two weeks
3: I showed up at my country
2: club on a Tuesday and all my wife's friends looked at me like don't you have some place you're supposed to be
1: not at the house though right
2: so you know the reality is uh, as long as there is still work to do that that gives one uh, a feeling of having made impact and that is worthy to do, I'm just gonna keep doing it. I'm I'm having too much fun to stop. And and I, by the way, there isn't anyone telling me that
0: I have to. No, you know, (laughs) Dave is one of my, I mean, I really look up up to Dave. You know, he's got the life that I hope to someday have. I don't know if I will ever get there. Um, But it's, you know, the fact that you are able to do so much you're, you know, you're still working. You're still advising clients. I know you have this, you know, you're a, you're a, you know, very successful insurance professional, um, but you have these great hobbies. Do you still bike? I, you oh know, yeah. He, he's oh. in. Dave is in the best shape. I mean, I, hope, <laughs> I, I work out now to get to Dave's level. Now, um, he golf's. He uh, You know, uh, he's got a. Beautiful family, a beautiful home. I've seen the outside, I've never been on the inside, but I've seen the outside of it um from the street by the
1: way this podcast is actually meant for ken to be able to invite himself into i'm trying to get, get into homes. i, I <laughs> hope you yes. all will be i'm trying to get into this may or may not have happened last week yes
0: yes i'm trying to get into notable homes in la it's my it's my brain. Happened
1: with the it Happened leakers and we got a in nice Harlan. invite to
0: harlan's you not, know not very
1: exposure motive here but i just wanted you to know no, i'm very
0: open about that no i mean that's if you listen you you know that that's what I'm angling for, like invitations um, into these nice But the homes. podcast
2: opening is always, he always says right up front, you yeah. know, I'm shameless. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so I'm
0: so again, I saw Dave's very nice home in Encino from the outside. I'm hoping to get an invite on the inside. I've seen pictures from Facebook. I do know that it's very nicely appointed on the inside, but I would like to see it myself in
1: Verified. person,
0: yeah. Yeah. Um, well, so, so Dave has got this life that I, when I work, I'm thinking I am trying to get the Meshulam life. Um, and, uh, the and method. The Meshulam method.
2: Um, you know, i got to tell you something. Uh, I get to pick up two of my grandsons on Mondays from school and uh, you know, hang out with them for an hour or so and then take them home. Sometimes they don't say a word to me. They're so much wrapped up in their own thing or they're fighting over what, whose song they wanna put on the, the radio <laughs> while they're driving home. But every once in a while, a little pearl will come and I am amazed at the, how inquisitive their minds are and it is absolutely spectacular. Last, last Sunday I was in uh, New York with my granddaughter Uh, who's uh, about to be 13, and we're driving to an event that she was attending, and I'm going to drop her off. I said to her, you know, if I were in L.A. right now, and I looked at the clock, it was 9.38, I said I'd be teeing off, and I would have already played nine holes, and we'd be making our turn (laughs) on the 10th hole, and by the way, I'd be in shorts and and a polo shirt. Because it's a lot warmer in Los Angeles than it is here right now, Eliana. <laughs> she looks at her watch, she says, Really? You'd be playing golf at six thirty eight in the morning? <laughs> <laughs> so touche, yeah. papa. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Do you have to get up at six do you ever have to get up at six thirty in the morning? I'm
2: up at just after four in the morning. Oh, I can't four. wait. When I wake up in the morning, I can't wait to get at the day. I have so many fun things scheduled and so much I, i'm telling you it's it's for me uh i can't wait i am so excited about every day i mean some people think i'm nuts but so I for our focus.
0: listeners if you are not jealous of that kind of life where you are yeah. so excited about yeah. the day that you have to get up at four in the morning you're just not, not do- doing it you're right. not doing it They're right
1: sign up for our new workshop you're not <laughs> doing it right The all right uh, let me
2: end with this let me end with this About three months ago, I went to the Reagan Library and was privileged to hear James Mattis, Mm -hmm. our former Secretary of Defense, Mm -hmm. speak. Uh, I wasn't alone. In fact, our speaker from that week, the ambassador from Germany, who's Vice Chairman of American Funds, John Ferguson, was also there, and we talked about what an impact this Mattis made. But he talked. He said that if you're not reading voraciously, you are functionally illiterate. And I agree with that wholeheartedly. Uh, we have the opportunity to inform our thinking uh, with magnificent books, podcasts, articles in magazines and newspapers, and just visiting with our friends who represent so many diverse interests that's what wakes me up every morning
0: do you listen to
1: i listen to a lot of true crime okay podcasts i just
0: listen to comedy so i listen to conan o'brien yeah. and he is a very funny guy yeah, yeah. conan well. o'brien and dick are on two titles. Yeah. Yeah.
1: and the dollop have you have you listened to the dollop no. they're a little crass but they do stories from american history hmm. one Does the research and tells it to his friend who's never heard it, and so he's just responding and reacting to the story that's being told. So the last one was on America's first ghost. (laughs)
2: That's very funny. Do you ever listen to? I can't think of his name. He's from South Africa, black fellow. Oh, Trevor Noah. Trevor Noah. I haven't started. He is the funniest guy. He's funny. I mean, he's just naturally funny. Look at him, I laugh. Yeah. You know, it's a great, uh, great sense of humor. I listen to the New York Times, the Daily. You mm. ever no, listen to their no, podcast? No. It's it is um, a, whatever current story there is come to life, mm. and they they have usually um, women uh, who do very in depth reporting, and and reveal the story behind the story. Things mm. like, for example, they did a thing with Bernie Sanders in. Uh, Nevada, and they were did it from the, from the standpoint of the Culinary Workers Union, mm. and they had two ladies who represented the union, both Hispanic and both um, uh, had been long-term members of the union more than 18 years, and they talked about the strike that occurred that lasted for six and a half years over health care benefits, oh. which the hotel was finally sold and they got. Mm. And they're very protective of those health care benefits. And this was a podcast about Bernie Sanders' approach to Medicare for all and about this group of people who you would think would certainly embrace that idea. Yeah. They didn't yeah, like didn't. it. Huh. Because they wanted their health care plan. Oh. Uh, they didn't they pre- want they don't want a, a health care yeah. plan. They want the one they fought for. They yeah. want the one they fought for and they and it was really interesting the way that these reporters dealt with getting the information and revealed how desperate groups of people have very different viewpoints about some of the things that we would that I just certainly took for granted. You know, I thought, you know, that that a lot of people would be for that that sort of thing. I am not. Mm-hmm. But they uh,
0: you know they That's reveal a lot of that stuff. Yeah. And so their things are very well done. Add it to my, my list. maybe I should put in a little commercial like if you want to be a sponsor of the podcast. Yes. Should I do you like another So, as you know, this podcast is being brought to you by Anchor. They are one of our major sponsors. We have made a whopping $2.11 and 11 cents. cents. (laughs) For every listener, we get half a penny or whatever. But we have had the generosity of a member, a returning Jared Smith, who sponsored one of our podcasts. So, we've actually made $117 total. $2 $2 being which from listeners, but the other 115 being corporate sponsors. So if you are interested in being a sponsor of our podcast, I would be happy to read a commercial on your behalf for the right price.